0: right, so we're at the final chapter of 2 Timothy, and uh, just a little bit of review before we go into chapter 4. We've been seeing throughout this whole book how the Apostle Paul is just charging Timothy to continue what Paul had started. Paul greatly loved his work that he was doing, but his time of doing that work was coming to an end, and Timothy, he wanted Timothy to pick up where he left off. It was the Apostle Paul's desire that what he was doing what he was preaching would continue and he gave timothy a very clear charge in chapter two that the things that he had heard among many witnesses the same, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also and let me tell you something about the book of second timothy this book is i believe equally relevant for us just like it was for timothy back in his day okay these instructions that we were given in, in the Pauline epistles and the New Testament, these are how we run and we operate our church. This is our basis for what we do. Anything that we do as a church, it ought to have some kind of basis in the Word of God. We ought to be able to point to something in the Scriptures and say, this is what they did in the Bible, or this is what they taught, this is what is clearly laid out. And what we are doing ought to resemble what we see in the Scriptures, even though things have changed a lot. For example, you know, I'm sure the Apostle Paul. Uh, wasn't meeting in an air conditioned building like we have today. But at the same time, you know, this isn't really about the air conditioned building. It's about the doctrine. It's about the work that we do. Even when it comes to, you know, the work that we do when it comes to winning souls, you know, there's similarities in the methods that we, uh, that we use in Paul's day. We see them going from house to house. Now, obviously, we have things at our disposal like the internet today. You know, we have a printing press today. We're able to give people Bibles and we can give gospel tracts and we can, get all these things out there. Uh, And yes, they didn't have those things back then. However, the principle remains the same. We're just using whatever we can to spread the gospel and to spread the message. So what we're doing, it has some basis in the Scriptures. And any time we get to a point where what we're doing does not resemble what's in the Bible, then we got off track somewhere. We messed up somewhere. And understand the instructions that we have in the Word of God are the instructions that we are to follow until the trumpet sounds. Okay? You want to know when things are going to change? When the trumpet sounds. That's when all of a sudden we're going to get an update on what we do. That's all All of a sudden when we decide, alright, you know what, it's time for a change. It's going to be when Jesus came back. We see there were some big changes when Jesus came the first time. They Jesus had him get rid of the sacrifices. He finished those. He had, There's a lot of things that changed when Jesus came back, and when He comes back the second time, some stuff's going to change. I guarantee you, we won't be singing "I'll Fly Away" in the millennium. We're not going to sing that song anymore. We're not going to sing "When We See Christ" in the millennium. A lot of the songs we sing now, they won't make you know they, they'd be pointless to sing then. Maybe we'll update them and sing "I Saw Christ." You know, I flew away. You know, we might sing songs like that. But obviously, some things are going to change. But you know what? Until the trumpet sounds, we're not going to change those things, are we? We're not going to update the message. We're not going to do any of that. Not until Jesus Christ Himself comes and gives us those orders. And that's the title of the sermon tonight. It's not over until the trumpet sounds. Because we are seeing constant you know, pushes to change everything today. Everybody's wanting to update everything. you know, And many people are changing their methods. Methods and changing the message that's been going on for 2,000 years. And then they try to base it on the scriptures, on the fact that things are getting worse and worse, so we'll talk about that as we go. And therefore, we got to change something up a little bit. No, we don't. Okay? Our instructions are the same. It's occupied till I come, and and we're not going to change what we're doing until Jesus comes back. You know, then we'll be ready to talk about some change. But that's after we get our orders directly from Him. So let's go ahead and start reading in verse one. So it says, "I charge thee before God." In the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So notice the Apostle Paul is warning about a time that's going to come. And you know what? Go ahead and try to pick a date when this started happening. But I can promise you, probably 20 years after Paul wrote this, maybe two years after Paul wrote this, they said it's here. I don't know if you all notice this. If you study any church history at all, and even just look at the Bible, the same problems we're having today, they were having back then. History just constantly repeats itself. It it always does. It constantly repeats itself. And, you know, and we would all look at this passage and say, man, this is today. But, you know, they were saying that when I was growing up, too. Man, we're definitely there today. And, and, you know, and there is no doubt this type of thing is prevalent today. There's no doubt about it. But notice when Paul starts this passage out, how he charges them before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So notice how he mentions the return of Christ here. And then right after he mentions the return of Christ, he tells him, preach the word. He gives him some instructions here. And I believe these instructions are were intended to be kept until his appearing. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to keep preaching the word. We're going to be instant, in season, out of season. Now, I personally believe that in season and out of season, I think I think preaching the word goes in season and out of season all the time. We have seen throughout history there have been a lot of great revivals. There's been a lot of, you know, there's been awakenings and things. And you know what? You know, I get it, okay? If you don't like the Great Awakening or something, you can always find one of the big names back then that was probably a reprobate and had some false doctrine. But there's no doubt throughout history you can see times when the country for the, as a whole made a turn back to Christ and things got better and then typically they get worse again. We see that same thing going on in the Book of Judges, don't we? This is this is just history. It's the way things always work. There's been revivals. There's been apostasies, and then there's been revivals and apostasies. Been going back and forth like that forever. And you know the truth is, we don't know that this is the big falling away, do we? We don't know that the tribulation is right around the corner. We don't know that. Now people have been talking like it. Okay, I have been listening to preachers since I was a child. Oh, my man, I mean, I can hear Gabriel warming up that trumpet right now. I mean, it's it, it got. I don't see how we're going to be here next year. I've been hearing that my whole life, it, but yet here we are. It's 2020, we're still here. You know, and maybe we're in the tribulation. I don't know. You know, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell these days. But it's like, man, when you really look at 2020, you got to be like, man, I'm telling you, Gabriel's got to be getting ready right now. You know, Michael's warming up his voice right now. We're about to hear that voice of the archangel. I mean, I'm pretty sure I heard him doing his you know, that stuff that we do. For choir, but I, I'm pretty sure I heard him. I, I, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, you, just watch the news. You can hear him warm up. Isn't, isn't that how we feel today? But you know what? I hope we're right. But there's a good chance that we're just... In another bad time, and we might have another hundred years to go. We might have a couple hundred more years. And you know what we're seeing as things get worse? We're seeing people change how they're doing things. You know, we're seeing the trendies. They're trying to just go along with the culture. They're just trying to fit in as much as they can. They want to look like the they want to look like the world. They want to sound like the world, act like the world. Just trying to be hip and cool, trying to fit in. And then, you know, the previous generation, when the you know the pre-trib thing just went nuts in the '70s, what happened then? Everybody kind of got this mentality: we're almost out of here. Yeah, the world's getting worse, but you know what? That just means we're that much closer to the rapture because we're not going to be here when the bad stuffs when it gets really bad. You know, we're not we're not gonna be here when that tribulation starts and things are starting to happen where you can't buy or sell without wearing a face mask, you know, where you can't you know you can't you know they're shutting down businesses and telling churches they can't open up. That's not until the tribulation, right? I'm I'm exaggerating there. Tell you what, you know, some of this stuff I, I didn't picture happening till the tribulation. But yet here we are, we're still here. You know, and they did they kind of had this let's just let it all burn. Mentality, and we always blamed you know, the pre-trib doctrine on that. But you know what? Post-tribbers can be the same way. The Bible says it's going to get worse and worse. Why are we even trying to fix anything? Why do we even have any hope? Let's just all despair. Let's have a defeatist attitude. The ship's going down, folks. I mean, it's, it's in the Bible. But you know what? I sure am glad that's not what they were saying in, say, Paul's day. I'm glad he told Timothy, hey, the things you've heard from me, Those the faithful men. They'll be able to teach others also. And I'm glad those guys went and taught somebody those things. I'm glad in 1611, or in whatever, whatever year they started translating that King James Bible, I'm really glad they didn't say, well, you know, the Bible does say things are going to get worse and worse. And if we just print this Bible, that would ruin prophecy because that would make things get better. I'm glad they didn't say that. I'm glad they just said, you know what, forget this. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for the revivals. I'm thankful for people that went to different countries and, and didn't just go to the Apostle Paul in his writing and say, no, the Bible says things are going to act worse and worse. Why are we even trying? I'm glad they didn't say that. And I'm glad they went. And you know what they did? They spread the gospel to every creature. They went. They shook things up. They made a difference. And they saw persecution sometimes. But other times they saw revival too. And let me tell you something. I know it's 2020. I know things are looking really bad. I know it looks like it's closer than ever, but the instructions have not changed. We should still be trying to win as many people to Christ as we can, and we are should be trying to see revival. We should be trying to make a difference. We should be trying to make this world a better place to live in, because if the Lord does, Terry is coming, you know what? My kids have to live. In the world we leave to them. I've got grandkids that are going to eventually be coming, and I want a better world for them. And I'm not going to have, I'm not going to go and change the message and declare a new way, because the Bible says things are going to wax worse and worse. No, the instructions haven't changed. I get it; things are going to get worse. But that doesn't mean we might not have a revival in the United States. Did you know the United States is not the only place in the world? Did you in fact did you know that we are not a majority of the world? Did you know that the United States is not the focal point of Bible prophecy? So, why couldn't we have a revival? In fact, why couldn't any country have a revival? You know, why couldn't Mexico have a revival, or even Canada? Canada's reprobate, right? No, No, well, even Canada. Why couldn't they have a revival? I don't see where anything's changed. Did they not have revivals in the first century? I mean, have we not seen revivals throughout the last 2,000 years? So let me ask you, when did we get our new instructions? When did we enter into a new dispensation where now it's all doom and gloom and let's just wash our hands of it and forget it? I don't see where anything's changed. If they were able to have a revival then, when Paul gave Timothy these instructions, and these are still our instructions, you know what that tells me? We could still have a revival now. So unless... Jesus does come back unless we are going to the tribulation. But you know what? You can't prove to me that we are. And I didn't watch all Sluter's videos showing that rapture's coming in 2033. But you know what? I don't believe Sleuter, Anything Sluter says. So, you know, chances are might not be for another hundred years after that. So we need to just understand nothing has changed. Okay? When you read Second Timothy. What he told Timothy to do is what we are supposed to be doing, and we should have the same attitude that Timothy did, and we should expect the same outcome that Timothy did. I believe we should do that. You say, well, what if it does keep getting worse? Well, maybe that'll just be in America. It doesn't mean some other country can't. It's like we think if it can't happen in America, it can't happen anywhere. It's amazing the way American Baptists just, they do, we think we're the center of everything. You know, every president's the Antichrist. Why? Because America is the focal point of Bible prophecy somehow. all oh, we're the most powerful nation. You know, listen, God could change that tomorrow. You realize, I don't think we realize how fast things can change politically in the world. I mean, things can change fast. And you know, it's okay for us to all have opinions about where we stand prophetically and whether or not we're Babylon and things like that. But at the end of the day, we might all be dead wrong on that stuff. Because all it takes is one major event to just change the world. All it takes is one pandemic to change the world and to change the way everything is. But you know what? Despite what happens, our instructions have not changed because I haven't heard the trumpet blow. And until we hear the trumpet blow, we're not going to go into a doom and gloom mindset. I'm not ready to go and do like on back to baton where the guy dug his own grave and stood in there with the machine gun mowing everybody down as they came after when he was the only one left. You know, I, that's not that's not my battle plan. My battle plan is not to just take as many people down with me as I can. My plan is to go out there and conquer and win. That's the plan that I want to have. You know, that that that's my battle plan. I'm not in survival mode. I want to still be on the offense because that's what we see in the Scriptures. That's what we see in the New Testament. That's what they were told to do and, since, and, and listen, when it's it's very clear that the Apostle Paul did have the attitude that the Lord could come back during his time. Okay? I know the pre-tribbers try to use that to prove pre-trib. That doesn't prove anything. It just proves Paul thought the events could have happened in his day. So I'm glad he didn't give up. I'm glad he didn't go into just defeatist mode. And that's not going to be our attitude. So the theme of this letter... It's been to preserve good doctrine. It's been to stand by the stuff to keep on going. And it is, it's just as relevant. It was written by Paul to Timothy, but we ought to take it personal because we are a continuation of the work of Paul. We are a beneficiary of that. We are here today because of that. And so we don't have the right to try to reinvent the wheel or to, or to just come up with new ways. We have no right to do that. We're not going to do it. And so notice in verse 5, it says, But watch now in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So notice, Timothy is supposed to be watching for false doctrine. He's supposed to be watching for all the things that the Apostle Paul warned about that could potentially derail the work of the Lord. Because remember, what is Paul wanting? What is the goal of this letter? Paul's about to die. Paul wants the work of the Lord to keep going. And thank God that he wrote this letter to Timothy. I mean, he was under the inspiration when he wrote this. This book has helped keep us in line for the last 2,000 years. That's how important these instructions were. They were They were inspired by God, and we need to stick to these things. And so he was supposed to endure the afflictions, he told them. He said, watch in all things. I told you, watch for this kind of doctrine. Watch for these kind of people. Watch for these infiltrators. Watch for them. Always be watching. Timothy, you're a pastor. You're a bishop. You're an overseer. You're a shepherd. Be watching for those wolves. Protect that flock. Endure afflictions. If you do the right thing, you're going to be attacked for it. We think that's new today, don't we? We think persecution is a new thing that we're experiencing today. But the truth is, it's there's always been persecution. Just it's newer for America. And, you know, there's been persecution in America in its early days. There was a lot of persecution before we got religious freedom. And even then, there was still a lot of people that didn't get the memo and, you know, went against the government. And thankfully, things have been pretty good, you know, for most of our life with the exception of 2020. But, you know, it's been... But the thing is, you know, that's just in America, most of the world, they're enduring afflictions. I mean, real afflictions. You know, they're slapping fines... And given warnings and things here in the United States, but in some places they'll actually take you to jail. In some places, they might actually kill you and throw you in prison long term. We don't even know what afflictions are in the United States yet. We think, you know, the government coming and threatening churches with fines and things is the tribulation. That just shows how spoiled we are. But Paul told Timothy, he didn't say avoid afflictions, run from afflictions. He said endure them. You're going to have to endure these things. We're going to have to do that. He was supposed. He said, "Do the work of an evangelist." I heard someone say that this means that Timothy was an evangelist. And but no, listen. Everybody who is a soul winner is an evangelist. You understand that? Everyone that is evangel. Everybody that went out today, soul winning. You were doing the work of an evangelist. You know what? Every pastor should do the work of an evangelist. I heard another pastor one time say that. That's why he you know goes and he preaches out all the time. He's, doing, he's following Paul's instruction to Timothy and he's doing the work of an evangelist. It's like, I'm sorry, going and collecting love offerings from church to church while you just preach to, to save people is not doing the work of an evangelist. Doing the work of, of an evangelist is when you go out to the lost people. When you go out to the lost people, not you, Mr. Big Shot, show up at the church while they bring the lost people to you to listen. And I'm all for doing that kind of thing. I'm all for a pastor going somewhere and, you know, you know, preaching a salvation message. We do that here sometimes where, you know, we'll have a friend day. I'm going to preach a salvation message. We try to get people here to hear the gospel. I'm all for doing that. But let's, let me tell you something. Doing the work of an evangelist is what we do outside these doors. It's not what you do from a pulpit, just going and collecting your love offerings everywhere. That's wrong. This is something he was telling Timothy to do. And it's something we need to keep doing. It says, make full proof of thy ministry. So he was, supposed to be watching for the false doctrine. He was supposed to endure the affliction. He was supposed to be getting people saved. And he was supposed to prove himself to others the way Paul had proved himself to Timothy. Remember what he said We said last week? I think it was in chapter 3 when he said, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that's more proof, too, that the work of the evangelist that he was telling them to do is not just going from church to church preaching once a week. How do you get to know that guy? You know, we've got these evangelists that are out there today that literally all they do is they go and they preach from church to church and they put on a great show. They're often very likable. They're often very lovable. And people in the church like them. But how do you really know that guy? It's not like a pastor that you can actually get to know. And it's important that you get to know the people that you're listening to. You know, thank God... For preaching on the internet and and the blessing it's been to many people. But you know what? There's something about that learning from that person that you actually know in the flesh. Not just the one that you see on a computer, online. It's great, it's wonderful if you can learn some things from them, but you don't really know that person. And so you gotta that's why it's so important that everyone be in a local church, you know, have a pastor. Have a church family that is yours. And I'm sorry. We got people out there that are delusional. They think they got a church family, and their church family is the people that they chat with through an entire message on a live stream. It's like some of these people too on the live stream chats, they go so crazy are you hearing anything the preacher's saying? You realize nothing you are talking about has anything to do with what he's preaching? And who does that? During, can you imagine if we were all just, you? I'm up here preaching and you're all just having conversations? I'm up here preaching, you're all having conversations about whatever. You're arguing with each other. But you count that as going to church. And that's what these clowns do. They don't even go to a flesh and blood church anywhere when they are supposedly doing their internet church. They're on there talking about who knows what on a live chat and sometimes even arguing with each other. How is that? Listen. Folks, you need to get in a good church. I don't know how else to say it except you just—you really need to. Otherwise, you're going to get imbalanced. You're going to be goofy, and you're going to look like some of the crazy live chat people. That's all there is to it. And the, the live chat people, man—they—they they scare me. They're—they're they're the first ones. All right, the the live the live chat people that are just everywhere—they're always the first ones to turn around and reprobate you, turn again and rend you. I mean, man, they those people can be vile, and. They 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 creep me out and I I don't I don't like that. You know what? If this is your church, if somebody's listening tonight and this is your church, stay off the snake and live chat and listen to some preaching and just see if the Holy Spirit can't speak to you, yawn your lazy boy while you're eating your chips. I mean, good night. At least try to make it spiritual for crying out loud. You know, it's it's because it's not helping these people. These are not spirit filled people. Spirits filled. But not, not capitalist spirit-filled. And it's not like that with all the live chat people. I'm not picking on all the live chat people, but you all know who you are if you're the crazy ones. But anyway, I don't know if crazy people know they're crazy. Look at verse 6. But yeah, he wanted Paul, he wanted Timothy to prove himself. Yeah, you make full proof of your ministry, Timothy. You know, you, you know what you do? You stick around. You stay somewhere. You do something for a while. You actually have some consistency. Don't go... Be a Southern Baptist pastor that can't even stay at a church for two years. That you go visit any of the Southern Baptist churches out here and find out their pastoral history in the last ten years, and nobody's going to be able to tell you that there's been so many people they can't remember all their names. It's hard to find anyone that's been pastoring any church out here for more than two years. They rarely make it two years, and it's it's sad. That's not the way it's that's not the way it should be. So, verse six. Paul says, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Therefore, for henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. So this letter, it's it's clearly Paul. It's like he's setting his house in order Figuratively speaking, before he's put to death. Obviously, he didn't have life and physical kids, but his family was the church. And he's making sure everything's in order. And, man, you know, what a satisfying thing, feeling it must have been to know, my work's done. I mean, have you ever thought about that? You know, sometimes I get overwhelmed thinking about how much I still have left to do. It's like, I've got another baby coming. You know, I mean, I've got a lot of time left still of raising kids that's kind of overwhelming i'm old i'm not even 40 years old yet i mean i've got a long time left I, I plan on serving the lord and you know doing the work of the lord pastoring preaching doing something in the ministry i plan on doing it for the rest of my life that's a lot of time left still and you know i've worked jobs before that i didn't really care for you know and it was a thrilling thing when i got to quit we we're just talking about when i quit walmart's been almost six months now I can't even tell you how satisfying it was when I was there for that last day. I mean, I was just, I was just grinning ear to ear the whole day. I was practically like dancing through those aisles, water filling and stuff. I mean, I, I was happy. I thought, I, I thought about doing a cartwheel as I went out there. I didn't do that. I was too sore at the end of the day. But uh, you know, I mean, I, I felt that good about it. But you know, uh, imagine what it'd be like to just, you know, and, and like I said, and right now I don't want to be done. Right now, I'm not even 40. I got too much I still want to do. So I don't want to be done right now. There's still a lot that I want to do. But you know, I would think it would be a very satisfying thing to know, you know, I fought, to be able to say that. I fought, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. You know, I've kept the faith. That would just be satisfying. No, I'm done. You know what? I'm done. Right now, I've got nothing left to do except just look forward to heaven. That's really, really close. That would be a very uh, just satisfying thing. And I love how Paul said that. And I want to be able to say that. That ought to be a goal for every one of us to be able to say that at the end of their life. And so, you know, it was Paul's main concern. The one thing that he's just got to make sure is taken care of. He'd done his part, but now he's got to make sure Timothy is going to keep that work going. He had that mentor in Timothy, and so he's making sure. He's going to continue things, and so I, do, I think Paul was wanting to get some assurances that everything was going to be taken care of, so he can just enjoy this trip he's about to embark on. I think I think he wanted to go out with a bang. And let me tell you something, you know, if I go out, get my head cut off, you know, I plan on making the best of it. I plan on, you know, I, I plan on getting some last preaching it right before I go down. You know, if they if it's a public execution. You know, they better not make it public. I plan on getting a few words in, you know, if they let me. And if they don't let me, you know, uh, everybody's going to get a good, good show watching them beat me, you know, and hit me for trying to say stuff. You know, if, if I'm going out if I'm going to die, I'm going to make it good. It's kind of the same thing, too. When I was a kid, there were times I did stuff to my sisters, and they were about to tattle on me, and I knew that I was getting spanked. And there was no way out of it. And so a lot of times I'd add a few extra things in there. He's like, I'm going to get in trouble anyway. I might as well make it worth it. That's a terrible attitude, but I still have that in me. And that's what I'm going to do when they go to execute me one of these days. I don't care. So, But anyway, verse 9, he says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. So, I think this is comforting too, because while the Apostle Paul is being faithful and doing the right thing. You know what? He had disappointments in his ministry too. The Apostle Paul had people that messed up. He had people that quit. And he had Demas, who basically joined the trendies, didn't he? He said he had forsaken me having loved this present world. This present world. Demas liked the day and age he was living in. He liked the trends. He liked the things that were going on in that world. And he said, you know what? Paul, I don't like this you know, old-fashioned, old-past stuff. You know what? I like the purple light crowd. And I don't know what the trends were back then. Okay, I don't know if it was the Roman mini skirts that the guys wore back then or what. And he wanted to wear a Roman mini skirt. You know, today it's the skinny jeans, but it's the same. You know, either way, the same principle. Anybody who wears skinny jeans today, it's because they love this present world. They want to fit in with the world. They don't want to fit into their jeans. They want to fit into the world. Skinny jeans don't fit. But that, you know, there's no other reason why you do. There's no other reason you do some of the hairdos these guys do. They're not practical. They, they've got to be difficult. You know, guys, we don't like to. We're not supposed to like spending a whole lot of time in front of the mirror. That's the lady's job to wear out the mirror, but not, not guys, to do that. But some of these guys, like that you know, why do they love this present world? Hey, this is what's trending, and so they do that type of thing, and they often, they take another path. They decide they're going to go another direction, and Demas did that. He loved it, and he's departed under Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, and I don't know that Cretans and Titus necessarily did in a bad way, but maybe they had just gone another, to another ministry somewhere else. And so the Apostle Paul is kind of by himself in this situation, and so while he dealt with disappointments, you know, this was probably a very difficult thing for Paul, because one thing that's really clear when you read all of his epistles, he had a very deep love for people we see the constant you know mentioning of people in pretty much every epistle and we we see examples of it in this chapter whenever he gets to his kind of closing remarks you know he's always greet this person and he'll mention things that they did for him the, the apostle paul i mean he did he remembered things that people did for him you know why because those things meant a lot to paul and it created a love for him for those people and he and he didn't forget these people and the thing is too you know that should be the attitude of everyone here. One thing that bothers me, it concerns me, I don't get, and that is the way Christians often go from loving someone to hating them in 24 hours. That's weird. Okay, it, I think it's very clear with the Apostle Paul that I mean, you know, I sense some heartbreak, I sense some sadness and disappointment. There are some people that I sense some anger with, and, and you know we'll see an example of that too. But man, there is no doubt that this guy had an overwhelming amount of love for people, which is why I think it probably hurt him so much. You know when people did wrong, did the wrong thing, and let me and let me tell you something. You know the things that we do for others, you know, and the things that pe- people do for you, that ought to mean something to you. You know when people do take the time to you know help you with the project, you know to work with you on something to have you know whatever it is to encourage where you're done you you shouldn't forget those things it's okay even too if somebody does something wrong to remember the good that they did for you You know it's okay to do that kind of thing that i mean that helps me a lot when people do me wrong you know i just i try to think about well you know what they did an awful lot of good too and i don't want i don't want to forget that and i try to think about those things instead of just that one bad thing that they did that's the attitude we need to have but i uh, but you know many people today i think part of it they're not doing things for other people themselves or if they are doing anything they're doing it for the wrong reasons but we ought to be being a blessing to people you know what you do it ought to mean something and the apostle paul i think this was a tough thing for him in fact in second corinthians chapter 11 verse 26 when he's talking about a lot of the difficulties that he'd been through he says in journeys often in perils of waters in perils of robbers in perils by my own countrymen in perils by the heathen in perils in the city in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren that's the last one he mentions perils among false brethren you know Paul dealt with the infiltrators Paul dealt with the you know the people that came in that were phony that were liars and you know what he called these things apparel, just like being stuck in the middle of the sea, being lost in the wilderness, be facing off with a bunch of savages and heathens. He said, you know what, these perils among false brethren—that was—he puts that right in with them. You know why? Because that is a trying and troubling thing when you love people, when you care about people, only to find out they were phony and they were fake. You know what? that hurts. That's apparel, and that's something that's very difficult. Let me tell you something. You know, I grew up in a pastor's home. I've been around pastors my entire life. And let me tell you something. Just like I was talking about how church splits, how spiritually devastating they are to people today, the, the grief that pastors often deal with from their people, it is scary the damage that it does to many good men. I mean, these guys, I don't know how to explain it, but man, that beating that they take, it, it leaves some marks. It you know, and and these are still they're good godly guys, but they have they have just been run through the ringer, they have been treated like garbage, and it is really hard for them to get over sometimes. And sometimes some guys get really nasty. I've known some preachers that went through some things and it made them nasty. I mean like scary nasty. I knew a pastor one time that went through a bad church split and it was real ugly, and man, he did, man. He just he got he just got nasty, you didn't want to be around him Anytime you talked to him, it was all negative. He was always talking about the split. And even years later, I remember I was at a meeting, he was preaching there again, he's still talking about the church split, still talking about that church that took all of his members. He's just like, good night. And the thing is, he had a bunch of people in that church that were staying faithful, that stuck by him, but he just got so nasty, the people there in that church, they just couldn't stand being around it anymore. And you know what they did? They up and left. And they eventually ended up closing the church down. And then he went and got involved in a prison ministry. He said, why would you go from preaching to regular people to prisoners? Because you know what, prisoners can't break your heart. You know why? Because most people don't expect much from a prisoner. And you know what else I think he went to that too? Captive audience. I think he wanted his church to be a prison that nobody could leave. <laughs> but he, now he's like, you know what? I can't deal with people being able to get away and escape. I'm just going to preach to the prisoners. <laughs> so that, that, way they that way they can't get away. And, and, you know, he, he moved to another state, and uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't talked to him in years. But it, it, was, it was sad kind of what it did to him. And I've seen that type of thing happen a lot, and, you know, it's, it's a very sad thing. And it's something you got you to watch out for. Because, and, and it's something I've always guarded myself with, too, because it's like, you know, I just, you know, I, I, I try to just be extremely gracious with people and we've had people come through here that have done goofy stuff and done wrong. And you know what? I, that's why I've always just had this policy. You know, when people leave, you know, if they leave me alone, I'll leave them alone. I'm not going to go stalking them. I'm not going to go hunting them down. I'm not going to go snipe them from the pulpit. You know, and I'm but I'm also not. I, I'm not. I, I try my best, and I got to be careful talking here because you know something could happen. You know, but I try to, you know, just not allow people to just rip my heart out. And it happens because I don't want to be nasty. you know. I'm planning, I am said I'm planning on doing this for the rest of my life and I don't want to be just one of these bitter old preachers that's just up there snapping at everybody and punishing everybody in their church every week for something that somebody else did that's not even in their church anymore. And, and, and we've all done it. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not innocent in this. Every preacher has wasted their entire congregation's time attacking somebody who's not in the room instead of preaching and being a blessing to them. Everybody's done that before. And, you know, I've done it. And it's another one of those things where it's like, you know, we all, I often see my faults through other people's faults. And I've seen other preachers like, really, you wasted everybody's time to go out, to just snipe somebody, to settle a score with somebody who's not even in the room. And, you know, I was like, ah, I guess I've done that before too. So I try to watch out for that. Try not, try not to do that kind of thing. But, uh, the Apostle Paul, you know, he had those people. Notice too, though, in verse 11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is meet, profitable to me for the ministry. Okay, And this is great too because, remember, it was John Mark, the nephew of Barnabas, that did not stay faithful. They did not stay with Paul. And in Acts, We're not going to turn there, but in Acts chapter 15 the Apostle Paul, when they were going to go on a journey, he didn't want to take John Mark with him. And Barnabas was upset about this. Barnabas, the son of consolation. Barnabas, the guy who got the disciples to accept Paul when he got saved. Because Barnabas was just the easygoing guy. You know, and him and Paul got in a good fight. You know, Paul probably called him a bleeding heart. You know, and he probably told Paul he was too harsh and judgmental. And you know what? They were both probably right. You know, and they were both probably wrong in some areas. But they ended up parting ways and they ended up going and doing their own thing. But you know what? Mark ended up making a comeback. Mark ended up doing the right thing. And I, and I still, to this day, I'm on team Barnabas in that whole conflict. Since we all got to pick sides in every conflict, okay? In the Paul and Barnabas conflict, I'm still on Barnabas' side. You know, and I still think I'm right. And uh, I'd still have Barnabas preach for me if he was still alive. And I would let Paul, as long as he promised not to badmouth Barnabas, while well, he was up in the pulpit. I, I'm, I'd let Paul do whatever he wanted. He's the Apostle Paul. But I, I, I'm, I'm being funny right now. But anyway, I, I think this is a proof Barnabas was right, personally. But. So we can argue about that some other time, and I'd be glad to do it. Verse 12 says, In Titchkis have I, left, have I sent to Ephesus the cloak I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works of whom me thou aware also for he had greatly withstood our words. So here was a guy that did a lot of stuff to Paul. Okay, this was a guy who did him much evil. He greatly withstood their words and you know this prayer that Paul prays right here. This is a great excuse passage that we can go to whenever we want to just condemn somebody. Okay? And, and again, you know, the Bible's full of stories, full of verses. You can always find something to give you permission to do whatever your dirty, carnal heart decides to do. And you know what? It is appropriate, it is not a sin, to pray a prayer like Paul did against Alexander the coppersmith. But you know what? Let me just say this right now. I would not recommend most of you do it. And you know what? I... I don't do prayers like this hardly ever. I really don't. Now, some people do it all the time. I pray he goes to hell. You know, and just all the time. It's like, you know, I, I heard Phil Kidd one time. It was one of the funniest things. He was being funny, but it was, it reminds me of some people are, for real, he was his preacher. like, I had this teacher in, you know, eighth grade. I, I I hope he's in hell today. You know, and he started <laughs> talking about it. I just thought that was so funny. Uh, i never heard anybody say that, but, you know, I hear people say that all the time. I hope they go to hell. And it's like, Well, I mean, you know, it's I'm nervous about that attitude. And you know what? I'm nervous about praying the Lord reward him according to his works. Because with what measure I meet, it will be measured to me. So it's like, this is an appropriate prayer, but understand, if you pray that prayer, the Lord reward him according to his works, you're probably going to get rewarded according to your works too. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? Now, if you're blind, okay, if you're blind, yeah! I'm okay with that. Man, bring on the rewards. Okay, but those of us who can see are telling you, you probably shouldn't be praying that prayer. You probably shouldn't be doing it. But it is not a sin to pray a prayer like that. However, I believe it is very dangerous for most of us. And if you're like the Apostle Paul, though, go for it. All right? Go for it. Do it. I won't criticize you for it, but just don't expect me to necessarily join in with you and start praying down fire and brimstone on whoever we don't like. But any good work that's worth doing is going to come with opposition. Hey, Paul had people withstanding him back then. We have people withstanding us today. Just, that's just the way it is. You know, we have people out there. We're trying to get the message out. we got people sending false messages out. We just were walking by a house today and some girl yelled out gay pride. Where did that come from? Okay. I don't think she thought we were homos. Okay. I think she heard about us. Heard you know bad things about us and knew, what, knew who we were and what we were and just trying to just trying to withstand what we are doing. We just ignored it. But verse 16 says, In my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Now this is a very opposite prayer of what he said to Alexander the coppersmith, isn't it? And you know what? It's funny. The people that are always praying for everyone to go to hell, you almost never hear them praying. Lord, don't lay this to their charge. In fact, they're usually the first ones, you know, keeping count of what everybody's doing and trying to condemn them for it. Just daring them. Say something weird. Say something weird, so I can like twist it as blasphemy. I mean, people watch all of my messages, just looking for something that I can say. So they can just try to cause division amongst other pastors, try to get me reprobated. I, and what's what's pathetic is some people are dumb enough to fall for it. You know, they'll take an edited clip and then they try to hit me against somebody and then just dimwits out there fall for it. You know, that, that's pretty pathetic. But you know, the people, you know, and you don't let those people that do that to me, I hope they go to hell. No, no, no. I just, you know, I hope they go jump in a lake. But, you know, just, I don't know, I'll go that far. But, you know, I'm not usually quick to tell people to you know go to hell. But I'm also usually not real quick to say, Lord, don't lay this into their charge either. You know, but both are OK. Both are OK. But you know what? If you do, if you're going to be like the Apostle Paul, the Lord reward him according to his works. You know what? I also want to hear you somewhere, somebody that's your enemy that does something against you. I want to hear you pray, Lord, lay not to this sin their charge. But you don't know, how, but most people don't have enough of the Holy Spirit in them to know when to do either of those two. You know what? They just do it at the desire of their flesh, and that's wrong. So he says in verse 17, Notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by the, uh, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. So uh this seemingly opposite prayer that Paul prays for those who didn't stand with him said is it's a reminder that all you do is imprecatory prayers and never intercessory prayers. You are unbalanced. Hey, okay? you just are a big mouth. You will not get as much attention on Facebook if you do an intercessory prayer for somebody or post about an intercessory prayer, but if you do an imprecatory prayer, you'll get all kinds of attention. And that's what a lot of people are looking for. I want to see some balance. I want to see somebody who's always praying in pregatory prayers to pray in intercessory prayer for somebody. Okay? For somebody that they actually don't like. There's somebody that's actually done something to them, not just not just in imprecatory. You're unbalanced. So verse 19, Salute Prisca and Aquila and the household Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter... Eubulus greeted thee, and Prudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. So notice those that final words that Paul said here. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. And you know what? I'll bet this letter probably took an emotional toll on Timothy when he read it. This was probably a lot for him to take in and read. Because one, a man that he loved was his men, that it was his mentor. Is in prison and is probably going to be dying, real soon. Notice too, he's being charged. Remember, let's let's try to put ourselves in Timothy's shoes. The guy who's reading this letter, who is written to, he is being charged with the overwhelming task of filling Paul's shoes. That's a pretty big deal right there. And you, but no, not only that, he's been repeatedly warned in this letter that this would be very difficult and come with major persecution. So, that's intimidating, but then he's also told not to be ashamed of Paul, meaning that he shouldn't be ashamed of getting the same grief that Paul had received, meaning it's probably only going to be a matter of time, and he would probably be imprisoned on the chopping block himself. I mean, think about that. He's being told to continue the work that the Apostle Paul was doing, which was why, and that, that Paul's work is why Paul was in prison. Paul's work was why he was on his way to his death. And Timothy's being told, all right, you've got to keep it going. You know what that means? I'm probably next. So imagine what this was like. This is easy for us to read today. Even in 2020 America, this is easy for us to read. But imagine what it was like back in Timothy's day. And I'm really glad that Timothy didn't say, well, you know what? Paul told me it's going to get worse and worse. So you know what? Why, why, why teach these, net, these faithful men that are going to teach others also? I mean, it's all going to get worse anyway. I mean, we got the falling away that's coming. It's practically on us. I heard a preacher the other day just saying Jesus could come back at any moment. You know, the Antichrist is almost here. You know, why do I even keep going? But folks, we've got to get back to this apostle Paul mentality and start thinking about future generations. The pre, I'm telling you, the previous generation got so caught up in the pre-trib doctrine, they quit preparing for the future. And the post-trib generation, they've gotten so caught up in the fact that it's all going to go to the devil that they've just quit trying. And Let's just let everything burn. Look, we can't do that. The That is not in our instructions anywhere. We have the exact same instructions today that Paul, the, Paul's instructions to Timothy are our instructions today. So where do we get to give up? Where do we get to just change things and change the rules and not be prepared for the future? That's not there, folks. We've got to keep this thing going. And we need to do what Paul did. Because while Paul said things would get worse and worse, there were still periods of time and there were still places where things got better. And if we see a revival in our country, it doesn't mean the Bible's wrong. It's not going to ruin God's plan if that happens. You know? And, and I don't know if it will happen or not. You know? You say, oh, well, do you think it will happen? I don't, I'm not going to stop trying, though. You know what? I'll quit trying? When I hear the trumpet. Okay? Y'all, we don't get any new instructions until we hear the trumpet. I'm not going to get up and preach a message like, and just declare this is it. Here's our new method going forward. Our method is still right here. And this is what we stick to we hear the trumpet until then we're going to keep going so with that let's pray dear lord thank you so much for your word i dear god i pray you'll help us to uh take these instructions personal dear god i pray you'll help us to just keep plugging ahead keep moving forward keep think help us to keep thinking about the next generations and i pray that you'll help us to this occupy till you come and i pray when you return you'll find us faithful in your name we pray amen let's go ahead